Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Welcome again to In the Break Room with Bill. Wow, so much has happened since the last time we had a break room episode, and that was only a few days ago uh, with me and Philip Russell talking about the OSHA ETS. Well, since the OSHA ETS has come out, holy cow, things have happened, and, and we want to focus today on Florida. And I was so lucky to get not only Philip back in the break room, I caught him as he was passing through on his way to, to grab a a water and be hydrated. Deanna happened to be passing through at the same time. Deanna Hayes, my uh, partner, who is uh, also my uh, counterpart with HR Tampa. I'm the uh, legislative chair for Suncoast HR, and Deanna Hayes is the legislative chair for HR Tampa. And I was so lucky to get Philip and Deanna together in the break room to talk about the new Florida law restricting workplace vaccine mandates. And so, so Philip and Deanna, um, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm going to jump right in. Uh, but, but here's the thing, right? If I had to count the number of times mandate appeared in the, the new section, which is now section 381.00317 of Florida statutes as of yesterday, I think I, I'd count dozens and dozens, if not over 100 times that the word mandate was used. And so it seems like the starting point in this conversation is this only applies if you have a vaccine mandate in Florida. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, exactly. And thanks again, uh, Bill, for having me back in the break room. Fun to be here and great to be here with Deanna. We have, it used to be all things ETS until yesterday afternoon, and now it's all things Florida law, <laughs> which is good. This is, uh, this is what we do. It's in our, uh, it's our wheelhouse, as I said. But yes, what, what has happened here is that Florida has gotten into the game, so to speak, and said, you private, and, and actually public employers too, there's a distinction with public employers, but specifically you private employers, no vaccine mandates. And stop right there, because that really is the threshold question for anybody listening to podcast today. As an employer, are you mandating vaccines? If the answer is yes, read on, listen on, study this thing and understand it. If you are not mandating vaccines in your workplace, this law just doesn't apply. That seems to be absolutely right. And, and of course, the devil is in the details, as we have always seen in these laws. There's so much that's not contained in, in this particular law, and there's so much that is contained that may be misinterpreted. But I want to talk about two things, right? Focus on two things. First, the substance of the law and, and what it's telling you to do in Florida if you're an employer and you mac, uh, mandate vaccinations. But then what's the alternative? Because if you don't have a vaccine mandate, if maybe you just offer up vaccines as an option for maybe, say, a testing mandate, will the testing mandate particulars that are in the forms now that have been provided by the state of Florida, will they still apply or can you still remain um, flexible with regard to your testing and date and the, the payment associated with it. So let's, but let's start out with you two talking about, tell us about the details of, of if you have a mandate in the state of Florida and you're an employer, what do you got to do? Well, I'm, I'm going to be very clear about that last point there, Bill. 
this is not a statute that addresses testing generally. This only addresses testing as an exemption to an employer that has a vaccine mandate. There's a big difference there. Because if you are an employer not mandating the vaccine, then the statement here about periodic testing, which on the form promulgated by the Department of Health, we know that they are saying that it, that no more frequently than weekly testing. So weekly testing, that periodic testing exemption is just that. It is not a general rule governing testing or payment of testing in Florida. If you are not mandating a vaccine, that part does not apply. Well, let me let me say this if I can real quickly before we get into the substance. And and I absolutely understand what you've said, Philip, and I understand that's the way that we lawyers look at it. But when I talk, you know, Deanna and I do these things uh, a lot with regard to, to providing webinars and information for HR Tampa and Suncoast. And Deanna likes to talk about clever lawyers on the other side. And I can see a clever lawyer on the other side saying, hey, wink, wink. This really is a vaccine mandate cleverly disguised as a testing mandate. And by the way, Florida has said this is the way you have to do testing. But you see where I'm going with it. Right. Absolutely. And I do think that's a challenge that we might see. But it's interesting because, as you mentioned earlier, Bill, I mean, this law is clear that it applies to mandates and, and mandates only when it comes to vaccines. Yeah, and, and I agree with you completely. I, again, we'll see the proof is in the pudding and, and the details are who becomes the beta on this. But so tell us, if you will, uh, let's talk about the substance. If you do have a mandate, what do you got to do? Sure. So let's first look at private employers, because there are some differences in the requirements for private employers and public employers. So with private employers, the mandate protection is going to cover any quote unquote full-time, part-time, or contract employee. So that's an interesting start, to say the least, because none of these terms are defined here. So it's not really clear what a contract employee means. I mean, to me, reading it, that makes me think independent contractor, that you wouldn't be able to mandate this for those workers either. But it'll be interesting to see if we have more guidance from the state fleshing that piece out. Um, but assuming that it covers all of your employees and contractors, you basically have to provide five different categories of exemptions for these employees to opt out of the vaccine requirements. So those exemptions include medical reasons as determined by a physician, advanced practice registered nurse, or physician assistant, including pregnancy or expectation of pregnancy. And that's really an interesting one because it's not defined as far as what anticipated pregnancy might no, cover. That's, that's, that's like uh, family status under the, the Florida Civil Rights Act, right? Who knows if that <laughs> right. means if you have a family or if you don't have a family, but your family status can be a basis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the other exemptions include religious reasons based on a sincerely held belief. And what we do know now is that we have the forms from the Department of Health kind of fleshing these exemptions out. And the form for the religious exemption seems to suggest that employers cannot delve into the reasons behind an employee's religious belief. And that's a little bit inconsistent with what we've seen on the federal level and the EEOC guidance there. According to the form, if I come back and say, well, you know, my religion says that I, I shouldn't be vaccinated, if even if it's as vague as that, do you think that that is prohibited under, under the Florida 
mandate with regard to yeah. you know ask inquiring inquiring further because certainly under the federal religious exemption we would be able to uh, inquire further or employers would be able to inquire further I do. There is actually a bold statement at the bottom <laughs> of, of the form <laughs> that says an employer shall not inquire into the veracity of the employee's religious beliefs. Yeah, see, that's going to be a problem, mm -hmm. right? Because we know the EEOC at least takes the position that an employer employer can, in fact, inquire. In fact, here's a checklist of things you may want to ask about. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that we've seen that happen. So I think that is an interesting position for for folks to, to be in. And, and Bill, when you look at the religious exemption form, that language that Deanna just highlighted is actually not in the statute. So we expect whenever they finalize the regulations for these this new statute, we're hoping, I should maybe <laughs> expect is not the right word, we're hoping, hoping to get further guidance on that. No, and, and, and that it, it seems to me like that is not the only one of our concerns to come. So uh, please continue on on these interesting um, exemptions. Sure. So another exemption is immunity based on prior COVID-19 infection as documented by a lab test. And then the next one is agreeing to comply with regular testing at no cost to the employee. Bill, if you want to take us through that form, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that's another one that caught my eye because, again, nothing in the statute about the what it means to have periodic testing. It's just that word periodic. Yet we see here in the exemption statement for periodic testing, uh, it says that the testing is to occur not more than weekly or upon evidence of COVID-19 symptoms. So let's talk about it. And, and I want to go back just just for a second, since we're going one by one, this immunity issue, right? As immunity uh, based on prior COVID-19 infection as documented by a lab test. I have no idea what that means and what could possibly qualify as immunity. I mean, I've, I've certainly read the articles on having this sort of this, this uh, natural immunity or immunity after you've had uh, COVID-19, but I've also read ar articles saying, hey, still not the best practice because the, the vaccine still helps that. What do you think about that immunity provision? I agree. It's, it's pretty confusing. And the form says that you have to indicate which type of COVID test um, that indicated that you actually had a diagnosed case of COVID. And you have to attach a copy of the employee's test results to the form. But there isn't a lot of language in in the statute itself that explains what immunity might be. And really, the, it's been punted to the Department of Health to flesh that out in the regulation. So we're kind of in a wait and see mode until those come out. You know, I can see a Robin Williams bit on this, right? Like, hey, my name is Bo and I've got a natural immunity. But, uh, you know, we don't, you know, <laughs> what, is it, what the heck does that mean? I don't know. But I agree that that's just one of those uh, really gray areas. And then the testing, let's go to, to number four, comply with regular testing. And, and you said uh, no more frequently than once a week. That certainly tracks with the OSHA ETS, but it says no cost to the employee. And so by no cost to the, I mean, my, my golden retriever is really upset about this. By no cost <laughs> to the employee, you know, does that mean time off, PTO to, to do the testing, certainly paying for the testing? What do you think about that? So I think it could, certainly. And 
I think it's going to be fact specific based upon what type of testing the employer is deciding to do and when the testing occurs. And certainly if you're doing this testing during work hours, that's going to be compensable time in addition to the employer absorbing the cost of the test. I think also if we're directing the employee where to get tested and how to get tested as a condition of employment, that also kind of leans more on the side of being compensable as well. And really those are under the principles of, of federal law too. And then, so what's the last one? What's the last exception? The last one is agreeing to use employer-provided PPE. Um, interesting questions that come up there, of course. What is PPE? It's, it's, um, yeah, that, that was you know, the most confusing one to me, right? Even if, even if we knew what PPE was, assuming it's masking um, and, and anything else that may be needed on a job-specific basis, the question is, does that assume that PPE is enough? You don't need to socially distance. What if you can't socially distance? What if you're in an environment where PPE, you know, masking just isn't enough? Well, remember, this is an individual choice by employees. They're the ones that get to choose which one of the five to submit for. So I, I think the dynamics there for our HR friends will be very interesting. But when it says PPE, Bill, and you think OSHA, well, OSHA has said that masks are not PPE. So that makes us even a little more confusing is, well, what is PPE? Is it a mask or is it a respirator? Because a respirator is PPE. And might there be some employers that would have a respirator as an exemption to get around vaccinations? The imagination is running wild with this. <laughs> Yeah, and the cost associated with that, especially if it's not just a, a, a basic mask, right? I mean, if you know, what is the cost to employers if they have to provide the PPE? And then again, you know, what what is the are there forms for PPE? Has have do we see any clarification in the form? There is a form, and it just says uh, reasonable. <laughs> written. Yeah, it doesn't add much to it. It just says I declare that I agree to comply with my employer's reasonable written requirement to use employer-provided PPE when in the presence of other employees or other persons. So, of course, we being lawyers, we want to know what does it mean to be in the presence of. So we need some guidance on this to be sure. But again, Bill, I want to make sure that our, our, our audience today, when we're talking about PPE and it being employer-provided, we're talking about the cost of testing, whether or not it's the cost for the test or the time off for the test. Those are only things that come into play if an employer, employee has elected one of these exemptions. These are not to be interpreted, misinterpreted as generally applicable rules in workplaces. And, and certainly triggered from a mandate. So you have to have a vaccine mandate for all of this to apply. Very important thing for folks to understand. And so we've seen the forms, right? Interesting that the forms were already available. Uh, certainly good thinking on the part of Florida and, and, and when they put this into place. But uh, is there more that we can, can expect from the Department of Health? Yeah, and I think there, there is. But one thing to emphasize, Bill, is this thing is effective. This statute is effective right now. And uh, it went into effect, in fact, on November 18, the day that Governor DeSantis signed it. In Brandon, Florida, so I will let the audience here insert their own eye roll or snicker or giggle, whatever they so choose. But he, Brandon was no accident. Uh, and we are expecting some rules, some further guidance from the Department of Health uh, to be issued within the next 
13 days from now. Yeah, and I did I did read something about Brandon, the name Brandon, and, and why it might have been selected as the location for it. I'm, I'm not sure I understood it. I think it was some type of slight, but yeah, you're right. You know, whatever people interpret from that, I'm sure that they certainly will. You know, and, and so one of the other things that, that I wanted to bring up, and I thought this was interesting because it seems like it gives folks an out, right? It says, it says sort of buried deep in the substance, the law also prohibits employers from implementing a policy that prohibits an employee from receiving a vaccination. So like, like you two have both talked about, you know, if, if the policy is not a vaccine mandate, but instead is maybe a testing mandate or, or something else that gives vaccines vaccination as an exception, it seems like this, this law is really sort of highlighting the idea that, hey, that's a, that's a good possibility here if you don't have a mandate. Right, agreed. I, I think that is what the subtle message is here, and I think I think after employers look at this, that may be something that they want to do going forward. Yeah, it's it really is. I think it's balancing. It's there's we don't want a mandate, we don't want a prohibition. We want employees, individuals, to make this decision, not the business. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly does provide some flexibility and, and some level of creative thinking for our employers not to run afoul of this law um, while being able to at least enforce the the maximum protection that you can get for the workplace. And, and when we talk about, that brings up a good point of enforcement. Let's talk about what the enforcement mechanism is. Can you, can you comment on that? Well, it's the first thing folks need to understand is there's no private right of action. And what that means is that employees cannot sue their employers for violating this statute. Our friends in the plaintiff's bar may not like that too much, but that's the law of the land. No private lawsuits. The complaints, if an employee has one because an employer hasn't followed the statute, they actually go to the attorney general's office, who will then conduct an inspection and make a determination and has the authority under the statute to impose administrative fines and those fines could be could be bid if it's a smaller business with fewer than 100 employees then the per violation fine has a cap of ten thousand dollars if it's more than 100 employees or more then it's a cap of fifty thousand dollars but bill both of those are per violation so uh, if it affects a group of employees do the math it could start adding up pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, and I looked at I looked at that part, and there were a couple things that I found very interesting about it. And and the the act is very clear on this, right? It says um, the investigation, at a minimum, must determine a number one. And I'm, I'm putting in my own a number one. A number one, whether the employer has imposed a COVID nineteen vaccination mandate. So so that is the absolute first inquiry that is made by the attorney general is what you have a vaccination mandate. And then number two that I found really interesting is that if the attorney general finds that an employee has been improperly terminated, then the attorney general must, there's no, there's no fuzzy language there, must impose an administrative fine. Now it's not to exceed that 10,000 and 50,000 threshold that you just talked about, but uh, the two things is got to find that it, it really is truly is a vaccine mandate. And number two, that the attorney general, yeah. if a, an employee was ter terminated, must 
adopt the fine, but not necessarily a full fine. Yeah, and that's important to note because there are some factors in the statute that would allow a smaller fine to be imposed. And it can be summarized that several factors in the statute, but they go to things like knowledge, a good faith, corrective actions. What did, what did the employer take to correct the violation? Were there any previous fines assessed against this employer? And then other sort of general mitigating or aggravating factors. The message there is if you have a vaccine mandate and you're making no attempt to offer these exemptions, you're going to get the maximum penalty provided in the statute. If you tried and fell short because maybe there was some a problem in the communication with the employees and the exemption statement perhaps issue, then you're going to get some credit and would not likely get the maximum that would be allowed of the statute. The other interesting piece of this is there is an opportunity potentially for an employer to cure any type of violation. So if an employee has not yet been terminated, the department upon its investigation is supposed to notify the employer of its determination that there's been a violation and allow the employer an opportunity to cure the non-compliance. So that's kind of an interesting component there. And, and similarly, if the employee has been terminated, as long as a final order hasn't been issued, you could potentially avoid the fines by reinstating that employee with back pay. Yeah, and I, I thought the back pay option was very interesting because if you talk about a fine, and, and let's use 100 employees or more, right? So $50,000 and the, you have that or the choice of reinstating the employee with back pay for an hourly employee, you're probably never going to come anywhere near that $50,000 per violation potential assessment against the company. So it, it, you know, it does give you perhaps a less expensive option to, to amend and correct what the attorney general may feel is a violation. Agreed. And so, so well, I mean, that is such interesting stuff. And, and I think the Department of Health is going to adopt additional emergency rules. Maybe they're going to give us a little more clarification and, and, and maybe not. But is there so what else is there um, before we start talking about that sort of what can employers do? Was there anything else that was included in the law that we um, that we found interesting? I think there were some some student issues and then things for district uh, and public school boards. Well, the, the important point there is there, there definitely are provisions that if you're a parent and you have a kid in school, then you should be looking at some companion laws. There were four bills that were actually signed into law on Thursday by Governor DeSantis. So take a look at those. We being employment lawyers don't really look at the parent side of things. But when you look at the public employer side of things, the companion statute that was signed into law does also prohibit vaccine mandates for employees of public employers, government employees, school employees, but it doesn't have the same list of exemptions. Those five exemptions we just discussed in detail are not in that statute. And it's, by the way, section 112.0441. So it simply is a blanket prohibition on vaccine mandates if you work for the government or a school. And and so as, as a member of the firm's uh, education practice group, and, and I know that we have a number of clients in the education sector um, around Florida and who may be listening, 
certainly the, the issue with the students, right? You can't have a mask mandate, but parents can elect whether to have their students uh, wear masks. And then you talked about the the anti-mandate for um, for public school boards and, and schools generally to have a vaccine mandate and, and not including those particular exceptions. But the the um, the recompense is a little bit different too, right? You can actually go and, and file for an injunction uh, if if you believe that the school board or or your school, public or private, has run afoul of these uh, of, of this law. And uh, you are guaranteed if you win to get your attorney's fees, reasonable attorney's fees. Uh, but again, no civil uh, monetary damages. And it doesn't look like any particular penalty other than the attorney's fees. Yeah, I think our friends in the plaintiff's bar are somewhat disappointed in every aspect. of <laughs> <laughs> That may be. That's a good point. So I want to close. I know we're running a little, uh, a little long here, but I just want to close on this this question and, and maybe talk briefly about some of the options for our employers. And, and, and one of my questions was, if, if somebody does have a testing mandate, right, or, or let's even talk about a vaccine, you have a vaccine mandate and someone chooses the PPE option, right, can you also have a testing mandate? Yes, I think you can. There's nothing in this statute that expressly prohibits an employer from doing more when it comes to COVID prevention measures. Yeah, but Bill, we can't let you go before we address a big issue that we've spent a lot of time on today, and that is preemption. That is such a big issue because we have a lot of our our listeners, I'm sure, are wondering, well, how does this uh, interact with the mandates that some employers have from either the executive order, which is 14042, impacting employees of federal contractors, or that thing called the CMS, which is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. If you participate in that program as an employer, those are two federal vaccine mandate programs that fly right in the face of, of this law. Or Maybe this law flies in their face, they were first, <laughs> but we know there are pending legal actions on both that are going to have to address this issue of what prevails. Is it these federal requirements or is it the state requirements, the new law? At least under the ETS, the OSHA ETS standard, it has to be at least as effective as, right, the minimum floor level established by OSHA. What about CMS and, and federal contractor? How do you think uh, the response is going to be to that. Well, let's first address that ETS because actually the ETS, there may not be a conflict between the ETS and this state law. Because if you look at the ETS, and I'm making a huge assumption that the emergency temporary standard promotion actually survives the legal challenges. It is currently sure. on hold and its future does look very bright, to say the, to say the least. And OSHA itself has even said we are suspending implementation and enforcement of the ETS. But if it were to come back, there may not be an inconsistency because you could, under the ETS and the state statutes, uh, not require a vaccine, but require weekly testing and a mask. And so that actually may not be an inconsistency. We'll see what happens if the ETS comes back. For the other two, that is absolutely going to have to be decided by a court because it raises interesting issues of federal preemption and whether or not uh, those two essentially executive orders, 
is what they are, are eight executive actions, do they preempt a legislative act by a state? And I am not qualified to predict the outcome of that one, my friend. Yeah, I think all we can be assured of are, are more questions to come, especially with regard to litigation and, and the interplay between these well, federal laws and the, the state laws. It's the Scylla. I mean, I got to say this. It's the Scylla and Charybdis. I'm going high school history and literature here. But, or, or the police. Uh, I mean, if, if you're if you're not a um, Odysseus, if you're not an Odysseus fan, you might be a police fan and recognize those names from the police songs as well. And, and you may know that Sting was an English teacher. I'm, I'm a wealth of useless knowledge. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the challenge is this. Do you want to continue getting revenue for your business through being a federal contractor or participating in Medicare and Medicaid? Uh, the answer is yes. Then you are running the risk of facing these fines we've discussed under the state law. Or do you want to, on the other side of the Scylla and Charybdis, look at the state law and want to avoid the fines but run the risk of losing the business from those programs? And that is why Sting was right. <laughs> exactly. And both, both the CMS mandate and the federal contractor mandate guidance say that they think they do preempt any state laws like this one. And one thing that employers might want to watch in Florida is that, of course, on November 17th, the attorney general filed a suit challenging the CMS mandate and has asked for a stay to be entered um, to stay the enforcement of that mandate as well. Well, wow. Well, I, you know, and, and, and to, to continue our odyssey uh, on this and, and our uh, analogy, you know, also they had to face uh, the Medusa and the Cyclops. So I don't know where those come in. And I'm not saying that any of our political figures qualify, but gosh, there, there are just a lot of, of barriers and potential hurdles that are going to have to be uh, brought about and, and, and um, cleared as we move forward. So, so guys, thank you so much. Final thoughts on what can employers do now? I think what you can do now is, is try to sort out, you know, which one of these mandates might apply to you if you're dealing with that on the federal level and then taking a look at these new Florida laws and making that decision about what's the best decision for your business on whether to mandate or not in Florida, particularly if you're not also subject to one of these federal rules. And if you want to do the mandate, I think it's time to look at having not only using the forms that we've seen so far, we need to find out soon from the Department of Health whether employers can use their own forms as long as they you know, request the same information. But you need to begin considering setting up a robust program for managing these exemptions uh, if you're going to do the mandate. It's going to require some extra effort. That's probably no accident either. I think the definite message of the statute is to uh, not mandate vaccines and do other measures if you can. So I think that's the decision that employers should be asking themselves today in, in the state of Florida, Bill, and that's the question we've been getting all day. But you know, our, our personal next steps, we're going to continue to monitor this as we go, and we'll continue to keep folks updated as we can. We're going to do a, an official firm webinar next Tuesday at 2 o'clock Eastern. So go to Ogletree.com. Our friends should be able to find us there and see if we have anything new on Tuesday. Well, thank you, Philip and Deanna. Thank you so much for, for being a part of, of In the Break Room and for stopping by to chat about this. 
Uh, I agree with you. There's there's so much more to come for our friends and our clients and and the folks that we have the pleasure of working with out there. And as always, if anyone has any questions, don't hesitate to contact any one of us. We look forward to seeing you at the webinar on Tuesday at two o'clock that Philip just mentioned. And again, you know, let's 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 keep an eye on things. We will keep you posted. And thank you again for stopping by the break room. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.